Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Acts chapter number 24, we're getting very close to the end of our journey in the book of Acts, and we find ourselves here in a situation in Acts chapter 24 where Paul is going to stand trial on three different occasions before three different individuals. Acts chapter number 24, while you're finding your place there in Acts chapter 24, this is a day you don't want to fall asleep in church. I heard a story about a man that in the middle of the sermon he in the congregation, he just kind of stood up and he walked outside. The wife, after the sermon, went running up to the pastor and apologized for her husband's rude behavior. The pastor thanked her for the apology and said that uh, he had noticed the husband's strange behavior over the course of the sermon and worried that he may have offended him in some way and or if there was some kind of family emergency that he ought to pray for. And the wife said, oh no, pastor, that's not it at all. You see, my husband has always had a problem with sleepwalking. Brothers and sisters, you don't want to sleepwalk on this sermon today. Today, in this passage of Scripture, we find it is probably one of the most tragic examples of a missed opportunity uh, in, this, in the Word of God. Uh, Felix, the Roman governor of Judea, had the privilege of spending a lot of time with the Apostle Paul. Yet sadly, we see here in just a few moments, he suppressed the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Felix let an opportunity slip by, and in doing so, and there's no evidence at all in Scripture where he trusted Christ as Savior, so we find that here's a man that's in hell today because he missed an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and Lord. So chapter 24 of Acts is a very, very important passage. We're going to see three points here in the text. We're going to see that there's, if it's a trial, you're going to see a, the prosecution, you're going to see a defense, and then you're going to see a verdict. But let's take a little bit of a closer look at it this morning, and I hope you'll get it, uh, encouraged and challenged from the Word of God. Notice verse number 1. Let's read the text before we begin. The Scripture says, And after five days Ananias the high priest descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. Now let me stop right there and just make sure I say this parenthetically. We all want to make sure the context is proper. Remember, Paul had just told Ananias, the high priest, he just said, when you start acting like a high priest, I'll start treating you like a high priest. This offended the high priest very, very highly. Now remember, Ananias was not um, a very good high priest at all. He was a very wicked high priest, a very, uh, an individual that could be bribed very easily. Well, he didn't take that uh, too lightly. In fact, he got pretty offended by it. And so the scripture says it only took him five days to travel 65 miles because he did not want Paul to be released, which Felix would have done. Felix would have released Paul from prison if they would have hastened and not gotten uh, to Caesarea by the sea here soon enough. So here we find they have now hired a lawyer. You look in the Word of God, verse uh, number 1, the word orator. The word orator does not only mean one that speaks fluently and can communicate uh, purely, but it also speaks of 
the attorney. He is the attorney for the religious sect of uh, this uh, particular Jewish, uh, these Jews. His name is Tertullus, and he's going to talk to the governor, and he's going to bring a prosecution against Paul. Verse 2. The Bible says, And when he called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, See that, by, uh, by thee we enjoy great quietness, and, and that uh, very worthy deeds are done unto the nation by thy providence. We accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, and with all thankfulness, notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto you, I pray thee that you would hear us of thy clemency a few words. Now, <clears throat> for we have found this man a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us with great violence and took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying these things were so. Then Paul, after the governor had beckoned him to speak, answered, saying, For as much as I know thou hast been many years a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself, because that you mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither rising up the people, neither in the synagogue nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess to thee, that after that way, or after the way, which they call heresy, so worship I God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. Let me say this parenthetically, verse 14. I don't know that I'll get back to it. Paul believed the Old Testament was vitally important when it came to the Word of God. Paul said, I believe the Old Testament, the prophets, I believe what the prophets said about the Messiah. Notice what he goes on to say in verse number 15. He says, not only do I believe the, the law, the Old Testament, and the prophets, not only do I believe that, he says, and I have hope towards God, which they themselves, pointing there to the Jews, also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and also towards men. Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon uh, certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple neither with multitude nor with turmoil. That is to say, I didn't cause any riots when I went into the temple that day to worship. I was only helping those guys, and, and I was coming to worship God myself. In verse 19, he says, These guys that are accusing me of this, he says, Those ought to have been here before me and object if they had ought against me. So you see, the Asian Jews there, they weren't even there to accuse him. So there's no accusers other than Ananias, the, those are the Pharisees, and those are the Sadducees. Notice what he says again in verse 20. He says, Or else let these same here say, if they have found an evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice, 
that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead. I am called in question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having a more perfect knowledge of the way, of that way, he deferred them and said, When Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that these should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister to him or to come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish, Jewess, he sent for Paul, and he heard him concerning faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time, Paul. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given from Paul, given him of Paul, that he might loose him, whereof he sent for him the offender, and communed with him. But after two years, Pecurus Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews pleasure, left Paul bound. And Paul is in prison under house arrest, and he's going to spend two years there. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. So here in the text, it's quite obvious there are three different parts in this narrative that we cannot ignore. Let me give you these three, and let's look at them just a little bit more closely. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is a false accusation. A false accusation. When you look at the text, it's very simple. You see that there's this natural break in the first nine verses of this text. So beginning in verse number 1 all the way to verse number 9, you have a false accusation. They're going to falsely accuse Paul of three different things. But look at verse number 1 if I could, and let me just point out a couple of things here if you don't mind. The Bible says, And after five days Ananias the high priest descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus who informed the governor against Paul. Five days, 65 miles This trial was put together very, very quickly. They did not want Paul just to get out of the city of Jerusalem. They wanted Paul dead. They did not want him alive any longer. They wanted him to be done away with. Now we know that Ananias was one of the most corrupt high priests in Israel's history. And because Paul thought uh, that, uh, because Paul taught in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and not tradition, because Paul held up integrity and not works, and because Paul proclaimed character and preached against corruption, he was in jeopardy, if you will, because Ananias the high priest was going to be dethroned. Why? Because Jesus Christ, who died and was buried and rose again on the third day, split the veil from top to bottom. We do not need religion anymore. Now it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul clearly proclaimed that. And he was clearly proclaiming that. But he was not causing the riots. The riots were coming from the religious. The religious were coming upon him and literally trying to rip him apart. Thank God that the guards came, the Roman guards, and rescued him, or he would be in deep, deep trouble even today. He'd be dead in this passage of Scripture. But thank God in His providence 
Thank God in his sovereignty, he protected Paul and put him right where he wanted him. In verses 2 through 4, we see the hearing begins. And as the hearing begins, Paul is summoned before uh, Festus. And there you see Tertullus is going to begin this prosecution. And as Tertullus begins the prosecution, he begins by flattering uh, Felix. Look at what the scripture says, beginning in verse 2. He says, And when he had called Tertullus, he began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by your providence, uh, Festus, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Festus or Felix, and we are thankful. Here we see uh, this Felix being flattered by this attorney. Now, this attorney in flattering uh, Felix is something that is customary. It does happen. But when you read it, you can't help but see that it's meaningless. It's insincere. It's hollow. There's no sincerity in it at all. Why? Well, because Felix's reputation went before him. He was an awful governor. Felix was a former slave. He was a former slave who owned this position due to the influence of his brother Paulus. Paulus was a man who loved Rome and was in well favor with Rome. And he looked and he said, I got a brother here that's in jail. He'd make a good governor over there in Caesarea. And just off of his brother, we find that the Roman emperor Claudius went and put him in charge. And as he put him in charge, uh, listen to what uh, Tartigus, who was a, a Roman historian, listen to his description of Felix. He said, and I quote, Felix exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. He absolutely wreaked havoc in Caesarea. Nothing that Tertullus said concerning this governor was true. And so we find here this flattery was all done to try to win Felix over to the side, if you would, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And so he literally, in verse 5, he makes three accusations, three charges against Paul. Let me look, let's look at them if we could. Charge number one. The first charge he makes towards Paul is that of sedition. Sedition. What is sedition? Sedition is the violation of Roman law. He simply says in verse number 5, We have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the whole world. He simply says that Paul is trying to disturb Paxus Romanus. He is trying to disturb the peace of Rome. He is trying to wreak havoc wherever he goes. There was only one problem. Paul was not trying to do that, not in the slightest. Paul was simply sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was the religious leaders of the day who were the pestilence. It was the religious leaders of the day who were causing the riots. Rome would never, ever allow for Paul to create a riot with such manner. Paul simply was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted to make sure that everyone had an opportunity to receive Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. So the first charge was set against Paul, sedition. He has come against Roman law. Number two, there's a second charge. The second charge is sectarianism. Sectarianism. 
Sectarianism is the violation of Jewish law. Look again in verse number 5. The Bible also says that Paul, in the latter part of the verse, was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, this is quite important because the word ringleader here is a military term that means one that stands in the front rank, the one that's at the very top, the one that is causing all the ruckus. He is the ringleader. He is the one that we are to look to for accusation. But what's fascinating about this is he is accused of being in the sect of the Nazarenes. That is to say that these Pharisees and Sadducees, by the mouth of Tertullus, were not even willing to recognize Christianity as a viable religion, which is good to a certain extent, because it's not. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is one by which we are united with Christ through the blood of Jesus who was shed on Calvary's cross. It is the fulfillment of the Messiahship that God had promised in Genesis chapter 3. It is that promise that God made to Abraham concerning having this issue of us being united and in fellowship back with God. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you this morning that when they say that he was the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, the Nazarenes had nothing to do with this. He was talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we find that there was a slander that was attempting to take place against Paul. Uh, remember what happened in John chapter 1, verse 46. The question came about Jesus himself. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? What came out of Nazareth? The God of the universe clothed in flesh came out in the sinless Son of God, went to Calvary's cross, died on that cross, was buried, and on the third day rose again so that you and I might have eternal life. There is something good that came out of Nazareth. It was Jesus. But Jesus came out not for the religion of the Nazarene, but for a relationship with every person in the world. Third charge. There's a third charge we find here in the text. And that is the charge of sacrilege. The charge of sacrilege. We find this in verses 6, 7, 8, and also verse number 9. So what is sacrilege, pastor? Sacrilege is the violation of God's law. So simply Tertullus says, I've got three charges against Paul. One's against Rome. One's against the Jews, and the third is against God himself. Notice what he says, if you would, in verse number 6. He says, Who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain, Elisus, came upon us with great violence and took him away out of our hands. If you know anything about this story, you can go back and look in the text. That's not what happened at all. You can remember the riot ensued after Paul had said he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were coming to faith. It made the Jews so upset that the Pharisees and the Sadducees got so irate with Paul. The Bible says that they were literally pulling him and he was about to be ripped in two. When the chief captain looked down and said, somebody better go down there and get him or he's going to die. And they came and rescued him. But we find Tertullus spinning this in such a way that says the chief captain Lysisius came upon us and with great violence took him away 
out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all of these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assenting, saying <clears throat> that these things were so. They said, yes, this is exactly how it happened. That's not how it happened at all. The truth of the matter is, they almost ripped Paul in two regarding his testimony of faith. So here, in the first nine verses of chapter 24, is the prosecution. Now let me just go on record and say this. As a born-again Christian, there are a lot of people out there today that are prosecuting you. They think that you, as a born-again child of God, carry yourself in such a way where you think you may be better than they are. They look at you and say, this world says Christianity is still pestilence. The word pestilence here in this text not only has to deal with those pestilences that, could, that were contributed there when Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and the Egyptians were experiencing all of those terrible things. The pestilence that was coming on. Pestilence is not only uh, these uh, locusts and flies and frogs, but it's also disease. It's the most wretched, awful thing that you can think of. A most wretched disease that you may could ever imagine. What Tertullus was saying here is that Paul is a cancer. Paul is a wickedness. Paul is someone that is doing everything in his power to destroy religion. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, that's exactly where we're at today in our world. Individuals are looking at us today in our culture. And they say, oh, y'all think y'all are all better than we are? We, are? we do not think we're better than anybody. We have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all we are is one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. And that bread is found only in Jesus. The Scripture says in, from Jesus' own lips, He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We're living in a day-to-day -day where we're being accused every single day concerning our faith. And we will have to make a decision. Will we trust in the Word of God? Or will we bow down to the false idol of our culture? Brothers and sisters, I want to submit to you there's always two sides regarding uh, a sentencing and a court hearing. You have the persecution, uh, you, but you also have the defense. Let me show you, if I could, the second thing I want you to see, and that is a faithful answer. A faithful answer. This faithful answer comes beginning in verse number 10 and runs all the way down to verse number 21. It is the defense part of this court case. <clears throat> Paul did not depend upon flattery when he approached the governor as he gave him permission to speak. Paul quietly and honestly stated his defense. In verses 10 through 14, we see that defense. Paul states that the accusations that are made against him are absurd. He destroys first the accusation of sedition. He simply says, there is no way I could stir up a riot in that short of a time. 
I wasn't involved in any public debates or even, even in any evangelistic mission inside the church within itself. I was there to worship God and I can't help the questions that may have been asked of me. The Bible also says in verse number 13, he also says, nor can I prove uh, that, nor can they prove that the charges that they have against me are going to hold. That is to say, this second charge uh, of sectarianism, Paul admits to being a Christian, but he denies that Christianity is heretical in any way. And then in verse number 14 and following, he continues to admit that according to the way, according to the way, that being Christianity, according to the Christianity, they call it a sect, he says, no, it's the only way to get to heaven. He simply insists that he is not forsaking the one true God, but he's devoted to the one true God, and he loves God with all of his heart, and he simply wants to honor God and exalt Jesus Christ. So Paul is very far from being a heretic. Paul is more orthodox than we may realize. In fact, he's more orthodox than his accusers, that's for sure. Paul served uh, the God of his fathers. F Paul believed the inspiration of the Old Testament and accepted everything that it taught as the inspired word of God. They, that is the Pharisees and Sadducees, did not. The Sadducees in particular did not even believe in the resurrection, which Old Testament saints clearly talk about. The Old Testament clearly talks about re the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. Daniel 12 2 says this, <clears throat> Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Daniel even said, there's going to be a resurrection. Listen to me very carefully, dear friend. When you look in the Word of God and you see the reference to resurrection happening on so many occasions, it's worth noting. It's worth noting that we will die. It's worth noting that we will be buried. But it's worth noting that there will be a resurrection. When you look at this passage of Scripture, you see very plainly that as Paul is proclaiming this issue of resurrection, he is doing it not with an attitude of arrogance, but he is doing it with an attitude of meekness. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's what Jesus said. Those were his words come from his very lips. He simply is saying, Paul is simply saying in regards to the resurrection that we will experience a resurrection. And when you see that resurrection, when you experience that resurrection, then you will stand before the true judge. Paul reminds Felix in verse number 19 that these witnesses from Asia are not even there to accuse him of what they said that he did. We find here in the text, this really is a kangaroo court. This really is a court uh, that is leaning towards making sure that Paul is destroyed. However, when you come down and see the defense and see that it is done with grace, when you see that it is done with mercy, and you see that it is done with faithfulness, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, communicates to Felix the simple fact that he's not a rioter. But he is, in fact, a Christian. Brothers and sisters, I would ask that each one of us consider in the court of public opinion, which we are judged in every day, 
that we would be found faithful to Jesus Christ and that we would give an appropriate answer when asked concerning the faith which we have in Him. And brothers and sisters, I would submit to you today also that in regards to a faithful answer, the only true answer to this culture today is Jesus. You might say, well, what we need is we need a new ruler, or we need a new person in authority here, we need a new person in authority there, and while that might very well be true, what we truly need, church, is a great spiritual awakening. And that spiritual awakening will only happen with faithful answers. And those faithful answers should come from faithful men and women of God, like Paul, like you, like me. Yet those faithful answers ought to come on the heels of the hottest fire. When it is the hottest, we must be the most clear-headed. We must be the ones to say, Jesus said. He said He is the way. He said He is the truth. He said He is the life. No man will come to the Father except by Jesus. Notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 17. Paul says, Now after many years I came and I brought alms to my nation and offerings. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with the multitude nor with rioters, who ought to have been here today to object if they had something against me. Or else let these same that are here today say, that they have found something evil in me personally because I've stood before their council. And the fact of the matter is there was no trial in the council that Paul was uh, in when he was before the Sadducees and the Pharisees. If you'll remember, it was not a trial. Tertullus says, we wanted to try him in our own court, but the court that they had for Paul was to kill him. He goes on to say there in the text, he says in verse number 21, he said, except it be... For this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. He says, the only thing that I'm here in front of you today is for this one thing. That's the resurrection to which we all will enter. Right then and there, God put Paul in a place where the word of his voice carried under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God and moved, if you would, the defense into a position of the verdict. I want to show you a third and final thing. I want to show you the foolish attitude. The foolish attitude. In verses 22 through 27, we see the verdict comes from an attitude of foolishness. Felix the governor heard the prosecution... He now just listened to the defense. And do you know, he came to the conclusion that there were two comments that were made that really got his attention. And because of these two comments, he made this following verdict. The first comment that really got his attention is found in verse number 22. Verse number 22, uh, we find here, and when Felix heard these things, <clears throat> having a more perfect knowledge... Of that way, he deferred him and said, When, Lysis, when uh, Lysisria, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. So what, what, was, what was said? 
Brothers and sisters, if you have your pens, pencil, lipstick, or mascara, I would underline the word more perfect knowledge. Somebody is feeding Felix some partial truth about Christianity. Who is it? So when Paul talked about the way, he knew exactly what Paul was referring to. There's a second thing that Felix picked up on. Notice what the Bible says in verse 23. The Scripture says, And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to uh, let him have liberty and that he should not forbid none of his acquaintances to minister to him or to come in. Verse 23 tells us that he put Paul not in the dungeon, but he put him under house arrest. And he put him under house arrest where anybody, any of his friends could come. Any of the missionaries could come. Any of his um, uh, workers could come. Any of uh, his help could come. Anybody could come see Paul. But he all did it for one reason and one reason only, and that's found in verse number 26. The Bible says he had hoped also that the money should have been given him of Paul, that he might lose him. All Felix wanted was a bribe. All he wanted was money. And I want you to think about this just for a minute. Paul, in a spirit of meekness, could have at any moment picked up his pen knowing that everybody is welcome to come see him. He could have wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, his most faithful giving congregation. And he could have just said, Dear church, I'm in prison. I need to get out because God has called me to Rome. Please send an offering and bring it to me so that I might take the gospel to Rome. That's all Paul had to do, David. That's all he had to do. But Paul didn't do that. As a matter of fact, Paul didn't even mention that. Paul didn't even consider that. And when you think about it, he was sentenced to two years and all he needed was a bribe. All he needed was an offering. All he needed was some money. And it would have got him out. But for two solid years, he stayed under house arrest. Why? I believe for one reason only. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 24. The Scripture says, And after a certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul in hearing him concerning the faith in Christ Jesus. So we find out in verse number 24 who is feeding Felix information. It's his wife. His wife, who is a Jew, begins to talk to him and says, you need to listen to what this guy's saying. Because he's talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about the prophets. And he's talking about Daniel. And he's talking about this resurrection. And she tells her husband to a certain extent, listen, we're going to die and we're going to stand before a greater judge. Paul picks up on this and in verse number 24 begins to communicate how to have faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in verse number 24, or verse number 25, and as he reasoned, that is Paul, Paul reasoned righteousness. He reasoned temperance. And he reasoned judgment to come. Watch this. I would underline this next part. Felix 
trembled. The word trembled here in the text means that that Felix was under conviction. It means the Holy Spirit was dealing with Felix. It means the Holy Spirit was speaking to Felix in such a fashion that the Holy Spirit was saying, Felix, you know what's being taught to you is true. You know what's being said to you is true. You will die and you will stand before a greater judge than you. And under conviction, the Bible says, he trembled. But here's the saddest news in all the Scriptures. The Bible says that he answered Paul and he told Paul, go your way. And there's only one place Paul can go. That's back to his prison cell at home, back home. He says, go home, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. There are three responses to the gospel. There are those that accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. There are those that reject Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And number three, there are those that put on hold their decision for Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, there's nowhere in the Scriptures where it ever says that this convenient season came for him. As a matter of fact, we know that Paul spent two years in prison. Two years Paul would share the gospel with Felix and he would never trust Christ as his personal Savior Lord, Notice what the Bible says in verse number 26. The Bible says Felix hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul and that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener. You see that? And communed with him. Paul for two years never gave up on Felix. Two years of rejection. Paul would sit in front of him along with uh, Drusilla and he would share the gospel. No, not today. Paul would go another a week later, not this week. He'd go another day later, not today. He'd come again. Brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us here in the text that Paul was consistent in sharing the gospel with one man. And he never gave up on that one man. If this does not show the sweet love of Jesus Christ, that God does not give up on people. Listen to me, friend. I'm out of time. I've got to to land the plane. God never gives up on people. I've met people throughout the course of my ministry that say, Preacher, I just don't think God could love me. What a wicked person that I am. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been through. How can God love me that's so wicked? God loved Felix. And for two years, God put Paul in prison so that he could witness to Felix. You may feel like your job's a prison, but God's got you there so that you can be a witness for him. You may feel like the relationship that you're in is a, is a prison. God's got you there as He's trying to use you that you might see that individual come to Christ and know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. I'm telling you, God in His providence puts us right where we need to be. And when you look at the meekness of Paul, there's power under the control. He could have left at any time, at any moment, he could have said, I'm out of here, but he didn't. He says, I've got to share the gospel with Felix one more time. 
Dear brothers and sisters, I submit to you today, that convenient season for Felix never came. And you may be here and you may have heard the gospel preached day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And you've rejected it and rejected it and you keep saying, well, when, when a more convenient time, just not right now, just not right now, just not right now. You too may end up like Felix. That convenient season may never come. And you will die in your sins. And according to the Bible, you'll split hell wide open. Hell was not a place that was designed for us. It was designed for the fallen angels. But we send ourselves to hell by rejecting the promise of the Old and New Testament, saying that Jesus is Messiah. So I ask you today, dear friend, who are you like? Are you like Felix? Are you just looking for a more convenient season? The Bible says this, today is the day of salvation. God is not looking for you to wait on a more convenient time. He says today's the day you need to come to Christ. Today's the day you need to trust Christ. Today's the day you should repent of your sins and you should be forgiven of your sins and stop playing religion and start have a relationship with Jesus Christ. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, maybe you're here. And maybe you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. I want to give you that opportunity today, dear friend. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you've never trusted Christ as Savior. Right where you're at today, from your heart to God's heart, would you cry out to the Lord today and say something like this? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today I repent and I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're a Christian. And maybe in your Christian walk, you've become a little bit bombastic, a little arrogant. And when you see Paul's reaction in the way Paul stands before authority and graciously communicates the gospel of Jesus Christ in a faithful, loving way, maybe that challenges you to not to be so angry when you share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Maybe God's calling you to step up. And in stepping up to be a more f better faithful witness to Jesus Christ, that even may mean going out today and signing up for faith and putting your name there on faith, saying, I, I need to learn how to be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you today, Christian. Will you become a more faithful witness for Jesus today? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to share your word. Thank you for this narrative. Thank you for this true uh, story about Paul. Lord, I pray in the name and through the blood of Jesus, you'd speak to our hearts today as you've challenged us. Bless this invitation. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, 
that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where once again we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.